so, a monthly offering from Table Radio. This month in our Rooted series, we look at having transforming faith. Enjoy. Blessed are you. Hi, I'm Vanessa, and this is Practice, where I and hopefully you reflect on what do these core longings look like lived out. In other words, the question I'm asking is, what are some practices that would help cultivate this core longing in our lives? So the core longing we've been working with for almost a month now is this one. We long for an inward growing faith that we might internalize the truths of scripture and grow in our knowledge of the living God through study, prayer, community, sacraments, and personal devotion. And both Josh and Andy in their sermons on this core longing talked about transformation. And Josh's most recent sermon, he shared stories of transformation, basically, about someone in the Bible who was cured miraculously and instantaneously. And then his own story of transformation, or one of them, which had some miraculous elements to it, but also just had some incremental transformation over time through prayer, through paying attention, and, you know, just through grace. But then he also shared the story of Paul, who had this thorn in his flesh that wasn't healed. You know, he didn't experience incremental or miraculous transformation in the way that he expected. So thinking about that for this last week, I've just thought about the power of testimony. Like we wouldn't have these stories in the Bible about people's lives being changed unless there was a witness to it and unless they shared it. And the times at the table where people have shared their testimony, whether it's at a baptism or after a baptism or just about a situation in their life, where they really saw God at work. Those are my favorite things, really. I feel like I could I could just listen to those and I could still grow in my faith exponentially. And so thinking about the power of testimony reminded me of this book we read together as the Abbey. And the author of the book, Trevor Hudson, said that sharing his faith authentically did more for the aliveness and growth of his faith than anything else. And when I read that, I remember thinking, wow, that's a pretty big statement because testimony is not a spiritual discipline that we talk about very much. And I think one of the reasons for that is that there's this subcultural, Christian subcultural understanding of testimony as a one-time capital T testimony, like you know, having a big conversion story and sharing the the story of your conversion once and done. Instead of an idea of testimony that is more common in charismatic countries and circles and churches, which is just sharing about God's grace in one's life, whether it was that day or, you know, over a week's time or a year's time. And we talked about this in the ab- Abbey when we when we read um, this book by Trevor Hudson. 
you know, thinking about, okay, what are we missing? If he says, and he has all these spiritual disciplines, like 16 of them, and he, he says that sharing his faith authentically has done more for the aliveness and growth of his faith than anything else. So we talked about what it means to be a witness. Again, witnessing, we sometimes just think of in the evangelical, evangelizing sense but if you think of just witness kind of in general it's someone who sees something for themselves or can say I saw this or I experienced this so one thing I remember us talking about is what does it look like to take the time and do the reflection necessary in order to per to put words to seeing and sharing what God is doing in our lives or has done in our lives. I remember reading this article uh, about this genre of poetry called poetry of witness. And it's political poetry where people share about the atrocities and trauma and suffering they have seen. And they speak truth to power through poetry. And the, uh, this article was about this poet named Carolyn Forche, who I don't know that well, but I have a few books out from the library by her right now. And yeah, it's pretty intense, brutal poetry. Um, so someone asked her, you know, how to write political poetry. And in this article, she said, you can't just sit down and decide you're going to write a political poem. You know, you can't write out of just intentional consciousness, just deciding like, oh, I'm going to do this now. She said, if you want to write political poetry, become political. And the author of the article expanded on that and said, if you want to write love poems that stand the test of time, then risk love. Or if you want to to write religious poetry, it's less a matter of selecting what subject, what religious subject you're going to write on. And it's more a matter of devoting yourself or apprenticing yourself to the divine. And I loved that answer. I loved that someone asked her, okay, how do you write political poetry? How do I get into this genre of witness? And she said, oh, you don't sit down and do it. You become political. It's kind of a version of be the change you want to see in the world. Was that Gandhi? Hmm. someone like Gandhi be the change you want to see in the world so if we want to witness to the good news of Christ in our lives then be a witness of God's love and hope like be someone who internalizes and integrates what we believe and know about Christ through the mill of our own lives Of course, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say testimonies would be great. We should all do them more often. And it's a whole other thing to have the grit, or I don't know if that's the right word, the discipline to make space for reflecting. Because the truth is, we, we don't just sit down most of the time on a Wednesday night and decide we're going to articulated testimony that we can later share. It's kind of a long slog. It's a long haul. It is incremental habits of paying attention over a long period of time that position us to be present and aware 
in those moments when we are given the grace to see something God is doing in our lives. So I think the biggest hindrance to practicing testimony would, for me, is just the really uneasy feeling I have when I sit down to spend some time reflecting or praying in that way because it feels like it's just so hard to do. And I mean, I work for a church and I'm a spiritual director and I'm an introvert and I love writing. You'd think if if it was kind of easy for anyone to sanction time spent reflecting, it would be someone like me. And still it's just such, it's so hard to do it. Um, so I don't know if you relate with that or not. I, okay. I thought I would close this little reflection with a couple questions and a couple testimonies just for inspiration. So our neighborhood table has been meeting on zoom since the pandemic started. And we, we answer a couple questions each time. Like there's no teaching content on the zoom call. It's just, you know, sharing about how we're doing. So here are some of my favorite questions that we've asked. And I don't think many people prepped to answer these, you know, we just asked them, and then we went around the squares, and kind of answered them. And it, it feels like testifying, really. So here's a few that I've really liked. Did you ask for help this week? Or respond to someone else's request for help? And what was that like? So did you ask for help this week or respond to someone else's request for help? It's just an interesting angle at reflecting on your week. And that one produced some really, really great conversations for us. Another question I like is, when did you feel at home this week? You know, in yourself, in the world, or in your life. When did you feel at home? That at home stuff is like so core to being human that I feel like everybody kind of perks up with that question. When did you feel at home this week? And it just means different things to different people, but it's such such a powerful phrase being at home. Another question that's super easy is, you know, what is the best thing that could happen in November? It's a it's a twist on a way of asking for the Holy Spirit to give us imagination for what God might be doing in our lives or in the lives of people around us or in the world around us. What is the best thing that could happen in July? You know, kids answer things like, oh, I get my a Lego set or a puppy or something like that. And we might have some initial thoughts like that too. Like, oh, we win the lottery or <laughs> I think everyone now knows that's like not a win. But, um, we might have like a, a, a first layer of like the best thing that could happen. But then underneath that, if we keep thinking about it or writing about it or talking about it, it did produce some really interesting sharing to talk about with someone in a small group setting, with others in a small group setting. What's the best thing that could happen this month? It kind of unearths prayers that we haven't yet prayed. Okay, and some really simple questions that I feel like produce testifying Name something you're reconsidering as a result of the last 30 days. Name something you're reconsidering. So it's a way of asking us to reflect on 
what we've learned that we might not have taken the time to stop and realize that we learned what's something that you're reconsidering as a result of the last 30 days it's a really gentle way of saying um you know is there something that you're doing or a way of being that's not helpful (laughs) it's kind of a gentle in for that and then where did you see god this last month it that's the simplest one and that is the examine in a nutshell every night is saying did i see god today where might i have seen god today and that practice of learning how to process that out loud with others i feel like is the best idea i have for how to cultivate being a witness um, and this discipline of testimony. So to close, I just wanted to share a couple favorite testimonies. Two are just one sentence, and then one is a few more sentences. Feel free to stop listening, you know. Um, Yeah, no offense. Or is that what you say? (laughs) No offense taken, yeah. Okay, one, I don't even know who said this, but you've heard it before. Faith sharing is all about one baker helping another baker to find food. That's just so great to think about that being what testimony is. It's about one person, one baker, one person in need helping another person in need to find food. I love that. There's the blind person in John 9 who says, One thing I know, and he already had me at one thing I know, because there's so much I know that I don't know, and it overwhelms me to even think of being an assertive person that says what I know, but he makes it sound possible. He says, One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's a really encouraging testimony to me and so simple one thing I do know that though I was blind now I see I feel like I could probably fill in the blanks for that in my own life in some way one thing I do know that though I was blank now I blank okay and then my favorite testimony so far of all time is Frederick Buchner's testimony I've shared this with Abby people but It's just so great. Okay, so here it is. Here's his testimony. I forget what it's from. I read it in a book by him. At 27, living alone in New York, trying with no success to start a novel and in love with a girl who was not in love with me, I went to hear a famous preacher preach one morning, although I had no idea at the time that he was famous and went only on impulse. I was not a churchgoer but I went because his church was next door. It was around that time that Elizabeth II was crowned at Westminster Abbey, and the preacher played variations on the theme of coronation. All I remember of what he said is the very last, and that not well, just one phrase of it, in fact, that I'm sure of. He said that Jesus Christ refused a crown when Satan offered it in the wilderness. Or something like that. I'll repeat that. He said that Jesus Christ refused a crown when Satan offered it in the wilderness or something like that. He said that the kingdom of Jesus was not of this world. And yet again and again, he said, 
Jesus was crowned in the hearts of those who believed in him, crowned king. I remembered thinking that was a nice enough image, as images and sermons go, and I remember how the preacher looked up there in the pulpit, twitching around a good deal, it seemed to me, and plucking at the lapels of his black gown. And then he went on just a few sentences more. He said that, unlike Elizabeth's coronation in the abbey, this coronation of Jesus in the believer's heart took place among confession. And I thought, yes, yes, confession. And tears, he said, and I thought, tears, yes, perfectly plausible that the coronation of Jesus in the believing heart should take place among confession and tears. And then, with his head bobbing up and down so that his glasses glittered, he said in his odd, sandy voice, the voice of an old nurse, that the coronation of Jesus took place among confession and tears, and then, as God was and is my witness, great laughter, he said. Jesus is crowned among confession and tears and great laughter, and at the phrase great laughter, for reasons that I have never satisfactorily understood, the great wall of China crumbled, and Atlantis rose up out of the sea, and on Madison Avenue at 73rd Street, tears leapt from my eyes as though I had been struck across the face. That's all for now. Hopefully that gives you some inspiration and imagination for what it might look like to become witnesses who testify to the wonderful things God has done and is doing in our lives. Blessed are you. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. We rejoice in the gift of your light. Blessed God, blessed God.